mutter or grumble in a low undertone. Um, have you ever, those of you that have kids at home or had kids at home, have you ever told them to do something, they turn and walk around, and just whining and moaning and groaning about everything? Y'all know what I'm talking about? That's murmuring. That's murmuring. As much as you responded to that as having experience with it, so also do church people. Well, the pastor never, and the pastor never, that's murmuring. Okay. I want you to remember that because we're going to come back to that in just a moment. It's interesting to me that the Grecians were murmuring against the Hebrews because the Hebrews was the ones that had the reputation for murmuring. So they were getting back, put back on them what they had put on God for years and each other. You reap what you sow. You remember that? Whatever you sow, you're going to reap it out of the field you sowed it in. Okay. Notice there were seven murmurings in Scripture recorded against Israel. They murmured concerning the way from going from uh, the wilderness to the land of promise. They murmured about food. They murmured about giants. They murmured about their leaders. They complained and grumbled about divine judgment. They grumbled about the giants. They grumbled and complained about the desert. They grumbled and complained about the manna. Seven times in the Old Testament, all in the book of Numbers, they complained and whined about something. <clears throat> Paul says to the saints in 1 Corinthians 10.10, 10, Don't murmur, period. No murmuring in the church. No grumbling and complaining about brother and sister so-and-so and the pastor and the pastor staff and the Sunday school department and no complaining. And we don't do that. I don't even need to teach this right here, do I? We don't do any of that here ever, right? As a matter of fact, Paul went on to say in Philippians 2.14 to everything you do, do all things without murmuring. Now, that's a tall mountain to climb right there. I'm just going to be honest. Man, I can't believe i got to go do that today. I just can't believe i got to go to church tonight, man. I just can't believe. I just can't believe. And we all are human, and it goes with being human, I guess. The problem in the book of Acts that we just read is the church grew, and their problem was that there was too much work for the pastor to do by himself. He couldn't handle the work. It's kind of like Moses in the wilderness with the children of Israel. And his father-in-law said, look, you need to set this up and organize it and put managers and, and, and what have you out there to, to help handle that. So God's solution, God spoke to the apostles, and here was his solution. Now here's where my erroneous teaching statement comes into play. God spoke to them and said to appoint deacons. I'm a deacon. I want to be a deacon in the church. I got power and I got authority. And I can even tell the pastor what to do if I want. Wrong. Wrong. It's not what the word means. If deacons in the New Testament church was applied 
to New Testament church or to modern day church, you wouldn't have deacons. They wouldn't want the job. These old stalwart men, I want to be a deacon. So I can have authority in the church. Let me tell you where that came from. There was a man named Nicholas, and he wasn't a saint. St. Nicholas, Santa Claus. Sorry y'all missed that. I thought it was pretty good. But he introduced a philosophy that God got real upset about it. And I'll show you that in just a minute. But God spoke to them and said that I want you to appoint deacons. It's diakonos is the Greek word. Deacon is diakonos in Greek. It means a servant. One called to serve, to wait on. You are an attendant. You know what a deacon is? You know the best way I can describe a deacon? It's like a waitress or a waiter at a restaurant. That's what you do. That's a deacon. You serve. You serve. You serve. Okay. The word deacon does not refer to an official church board position but to a ministry role in the church, a ministry role. These men, the Bible said, here's the criteria to be a deacon. You had to be of honest report. That means having a good testimony in the church, but also a good testimony away from the church. So you had to be the same in the church and away from the church. You had to be the same person, not Mr. Goody Two-Shoes at church and then a heathen to your neighbors, and nobody liked you up and down the street, you couldn't qualify as a deacon. You had to be a person having a good testimony in and out of the church. Number two, you had to be full of the Holy Ghost, meaning a healthy relationship with God that is consistent and that is maintained. It's not people, and the church is full of them, uh, around the world. People received the Holy Ghost. I spoke in tongues 20 years ago, and I've been good ever since. Paul teaches you need to do that on a daily basis. You need to receive the Holy Ghost often, on a regular basis. These people, these men had to be full of the Holy Ghost, having a real relationship with God. Number three, they had to be full of wisdom. They had to have the necessary skills for the job. And I think this is brilliant on God's part. If, if, if you're on a business or you're a manager, you're in a place where you can hire people or recommend somebody to be hired, if you're going to hire somebody for a job, you want them to be qualified for that job. Don't hurt to offer a little training and to tweak them a little bit about this is the way we do it here, but you want them to bring with them some experience, some knowledge for that job. And this is what the Bible is saying. It's not a big whoop position in the church that gives you authority so you can know everything about the pastor and everything about the church and all of its finances so you can develop some sense of power and control. That's not what the Bible meant. Notice in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, and, and most of you could quote this, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers which is what we all typically call the fivefold ministry. But then in verse 12, the apostle went on to say that these 
offices of ministry was placed in the church for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. If it wasn't for other scripture settings in the Bible, which I'm fixing to read one, you'd have a tendency to be limited in your interpretation of this scripture. As though it would be a threefold description, job description, of the fivefold ministry. And that's the way most people look at this verse. They'll say he gave some apostles, prophets, some evangelists, pastors, teachers. And their job, this fivefold ministry, these five offices that are mentioned here, is for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's what most people, the way most people interpret that scripture. But that's not what the apostle was saying. He said the fivefold ministry was put into the church for the perfecting of the saints, so the saints could do the work of the ministry. They could edify the body of Christ. Does everybody see that? Now, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and they'll back that up. Uh, verse 27. Now, you are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, miracles, gifts of healing. Then helps. Everybody say helps. And governments. Everybody say governments. Okay. And then diversities of tongue. Then Paul said, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The one thing he leaves out here that's, that, of this list, that are people all of these things are not, is people that can help and that people that can help govern. Those are left out of that list. So people cannot say, well, if I don't have the gift of healings, if I don't have the gift of tongues, if I don't have the gift of this, gift of that, then I don't have to do anything in church. But that's not what he said. Everybody don't have all these gifts, and we know that. And when he was asking these rhetorical questions, he left out, do ever, does everybody have the gift of helps and the gift of governments? Left that out of that list. Indicating that church people, all church people, should be equipped at some level to help by way of helps and to govern by way of government. And I'm going to explain to you in a minute, and that's going to be kind of the heart of my Bible study, and I'll get to that in just a minute, explain what that means. But Paul had a real unique style of writing. He would use rhetorical questions and that implied negative answers. For example, in, example, in Romans 3, he said, For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? So it's a, a rhetorical question with a negative answer. In Romans 6, 1, he said, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So Paul had a tendency to ask rhetorical questions knowing the answer was no, or a negative answer. So the implication in this scripture setting that I've presented to you is no, everybody is not apostles. No, not all are prophets, teachers, and workers of miracles, etc. But the second implication he makes is that since helps and government are accepted, it follows that anyone can have them. So you can't say, because I'm not apostle, a prophet, a teacher, and all that, that I don't have to do anything in the church. Paul said, yes, you can. Everybody say, yes, I can. Okay. 
Okay, during the Dark Ages, a time when the church was really reeling, a distinction was made between clergy and laity, between the pastor and the church member. A huge distinction was made, and I believe this was a trick of the devil to reduce and confine the, the capacity of ministry in a church. You remember that Jesus went on uh, one time and said that blessed is he that brings me a cup of water and something so simple, just giving somebody a cup of water is an awesome thing. It's a help. And you don't have to be super gifted and you don't have to fast four days a week and pray eight hours a day to do that. I wish we could get this stuff out of our head and I, I keep banging up against it periodically in Bible study. But this is a go big Bible study. I want to tell you there's something in this building that everybody can do to contribute to the kingdom. And it's simple. It don't take, you don't have to be a rocket scientist. You don't have to be a theologian. Everybody can do it. It's a matter of having to want to and to be commissioned to do it. And we're doing that tonight. This concept or philosophy of this distinction between clergy and laity, between the, the pastor or ministry and the church member, was a trick of the devil to reduce and confine ministry. It was first taught by a man named Nicholas, and he was no saint. Okay, just wanted to... Right. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, Nicholas was one of the original deacons. Ah! One of the deacons uh -huh, in the church. In Acts chapter 6, verse 5. He wasn't happy with just having a ministry. Nicholas wanted authority. And so he introduced this philosophy of pastoral authority, and the pastor has to minister to everyone. What he was wanting to do is promote up to a pastoral role so he would have authority, but he couldn't. So he introduced this idea that, well, we need to give the deacons role. They work right under the apostles. They're like the apostles' assistants, and, and they should have more authority. I mean, they're there for the every beck and call, whatever they want to do. And he went on and pursued this and, and finally began to teach that, that exalted, he, he, his teaching exalted pastors above measure. He put them on such a pedestal. And the Protestant world since then has bought into it. I knew a pastor one time when we pastored in Youngstown, Ohio, that he had a limousine and a chauffeur. And he was picked up every Sunday morning for church at his house. And he was driven to the church and dropped off, and his limousine was parked. It was real mysterious. It was parked in the back of the church, and it went in this garage and disappeared. And uh, he got out of it and took an elevator that opened in his office and marched straight to his office. And he didn't come in contact with any of his church people until he walked out on the platform when it was time for him to preach. Um, and he was never accessible. Uh, what have you, what have you. It's this kind of idea that, that it, 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 it takes 
It's, it takes the ministry. Nicholas was taking ministry out of the hands of the saints and bestowing it on the pastor so he could have control over the church. This is where the New Testament writer said that the pastor is not the Lord over the flock. That's not why the pastor's here. It's not the point. As a matter of fact, Jesus went on to say in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 15 to one of the seven churches of Asia Minor and Pergamos, he said, So thou hast also them that hold the doc- doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. That came from Nicholas. He said, I hate that. Because you've taken ministry out of the hands of the church member. You've taken the ministry out of the hands of the laity, and you've bestowed all of it on the pastor, and he can't do it all. It's not physical, physically possible. It's not feasible for the pastor to be expected to minister to everybody every time they need to be ministered to. Y'all on board with me tonight? <clears throat> so in reality, what the way the New Testament church was set up and the way the apostles set it up, is that every member of the church has a ministry. Now, you may not be an apostle, you may not be a teacher, you may not have diversities of tongues and da-da-da-da-da and all that long list, but you can help. I'm going to talk to you about helps in a minute. But in reality, every member of the church has a ministry. The way the New Testament puts it is the saints are the ministers and the pastors are the administrators. Um, They make sure... Things are maintained. The church is going in the right direction and so on. That's another Bible study for another time. That's not my point tonight. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, the Bible said, But all these works, all these worketh that one in the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. So it's one God, one spirit. The church is in one direction. They're in harmony. They're in unity. And we'll come to that in a minute. Church is going in the same direction, and you have everybody helping move the church in the direction that God wants it to go. It's not the pastor pulling against the church. It's everybody is pushing the church in the same direction. Okay, we'll come to that in a minute. So every member has gifts. Every member has at least one talent, according to Jesus in Matthew 25. So depending on... on your God-given ability, you can exercise either the gifts of helps or the gift of government. And everybody has some of that. One or the other or both. Everybody has that. God, God's not, he wanted his church to be successful. He wanted it to grow. He wanted it to move forward. So everybody has this ability to either help or to help govern or both. So let's talk about the gift of helps. What is the gift of helps? You want to go big? You want God to really work in your life. You want your relationship with God to be fulfilling. Here we go. The more you work for Him, the more you think about Him, the more you think positively about Him in relationship with other people, then the more full and rich is God in your life. So what is the gift of helps? The gift of helps is is simply support. It's, It's analepsis is the Greek word. It's to participate or support, but not in an official capacity or title. So you can help the church, you can contribute to the church, you can help move the the church forward, but you don't have to be a deacon to do it. You don't have to be 
brother esteem it so-and-so that everybody just, oh, salami, salami, baloney when you walk in. You don't have to be just, just somebody full of the Holy Ghost, somebody that loves God and says, I want to help people. Bottom line, that's simply what it boils down to. Not necessarily supernatural gifts, but natural gifts. Not supernatural gifts, but natural gifts. All right. Brother Vic, case in point, has a great talent with landscaping and stuff. He has a natural gifting for that. He has gifting and decorating and what have you. Do we have to make him Deacon Vic? To make that happen? I mean, Phil Elwood showed Sunday that he can organize an incredible car show. Does he have to be Deacon Phil to do that? (laughs) See me after church. (laughs) I need people to participate positively in this Bible study. It's not necessarily that you have to have supernatural gifting to be to use in discernment and gifts of the Spirit and prophecy and all of that, but you can have natural gifting. Pastors taught this for years, that, that uh, this building is full of people right now that have natural ability that you use every day on your job. It's just natural ability. You cater to a career that would accentuate your gifts, your natural gifts. And it's, it's interesting at how people migrate to that. And there's men and women sitting all throughout this building. Uh, and we have all kinds of professions that are, are, are here. We have school teachers. We have nurses. Not everybody's a nurse. Not everybody's a school teacher. You migrate in your career to your natural gifting. I could say a thousand things here right now. But for whatever reason, when you walk in that door... All of a sudden, I'm as dumb as a brick, and I'm stupid, and I'm ignorant, and I can't do a thing, Pastor. I I don't have any personality. I can't talk to people. I can't share Jesus with nobody. I can't help nobody, Pastor. You just don't know how backward and awkward and shy and all of that that I am. I just, I can't get past square one. How in the world do you function in life otherwise, man? How did you get a job? The question I like to ask is, how in the world did you get married? Somebody had to ask somebody, will you marry me? And if you can ask some chick to marry you, buddy, you can talk to people. (laughs) You know what's hilarious about this? Is all of you that say, I can't, I I, I just can't witness people. I'm just shy. No, you're not. I know you. You never shut up. People have, God gave you gifts. And they're not necessarily supernatural gifts. And you don't have to have supernatural gifts. You have to be willing. Just willing. Willing. Natural gifts that once you start using them for the kingdom of God, then they become sanctified. And I wish you people could understand that. If you would give your natural gifting to God first, it would be ten times as much on your job. And I don't believe you ought to be willing to do one thing on your job that you're not willing to do for the kingdom. 
Amen. For example, if your mom and daddy buys you a lawnmower, you need to go mow their yard with it. I'm going to give somebody some ideas here tonight. And I have a lawnmower, by the way, and my parents are deceased, so there you go. <clears throat> so this is not a do what I do, it's just do what I say do. <laughs> All right. But God uses the natural, natural gifting to be a blessing, thus bringing the supernatural benefit. You remember the little boy that brought the loaves and fishes? That was just a natural, just a good-hearted kid. Here, Jesus, this is all I've got. Or Andrew, this is all I've got. And what did God do with it? He'll do the same thing for you. He'll do it. He'll do it with your money. He'll do it with your gifting. He'll do it in every facet of your life. It's amazing. Some gifts of God can be the development of a natural capacity. All the people who work in the kingdom, especially in a volunteer capacity, they, they, you, you'll be amazed at how you can help the kingdom, how you can help the church. And this movement that's sweeping the Protestant faith is you have to pay musicians now for them to play. You have to pay your drummer and your piano player and your bass guitar player and your guitar. You have to pay all these people and I even know of churches now that are paying their Sunday school teachers. Well, then you become a hireling. Are you in it for the money? Or are you in it for the kingdom? And if you're in it for the money, you're in it for the wrong reason. Everybody said amen. amen. So the gifts of God, these gifts that he talks about, can be the development of a natural capacity that all people have. But these, these helps were thought worthy to be mentioned with the apostles, prophets, teachers, etc. This is where I, I wish we could get this modern-day church philosophy out of our head, is that you have to have a title and you have to set up here to, to amount to anything, to have any value. I want to say real quick, and, and I, I've said this to preachers, you can sit up there and be the big whoop all you want, but if there ain't nobody out here, you're wasting your time. And you need to understand where your bread's buttered, if you will. Y'all understand that statement. It's not about the men that sat up here. It's about the people that sat out here. This is, the, this is what Jesus died for. These are a dime a dozen. These are hard to get. There was a church came open in Louisiana recently. The pastor retired. Church came open. Sixty-five men called about that church wanting to be the pastor. Go start your own. A couple of men tell me, Brother Murphy, if you ever leave, let me know. I want to come past your church. Are you out of your mind? I wouldn't call you just because you said that. Go start you a church. Go find you eight people somewhere that nobody wants to go and build you one. It's the best way to have your church, in my opinion. Anyway, let's move on. But what I want to show you tonight, and this is so awesome, in this list of Paul mentioning all these big, high, Big whoop positions, apostles and prophets, teachers. He mentioned people with helps in the same list, indicating it's all the same value. In God's church, they all have the same value. What is an apostle without people in the church that can help? What is the deacon in the church if there's no one there to help him? 
So some are so busy looking for a spiritual job that they miss God's plan for them. They want the title. They want to have authority. They, they want to have influence. And they're motivated that way. And I'm pretty decent at discernment when people come to me for that reason. And I don't, I don't, it, uh, I don't entertain that. I, I'm, just, I'm not interested in that. If you want to work for the kingdom of God, let God promote you up to whatever level or, or job capacity that he wants you in. But to give you an example, we have an incredible Sunday school staff at this church. We do. And I am so thankful for our Sunday school teachers, Gary and Ashley. They do an amazing job. And um, it's got to where now, if there's anything going on, good or bad in the Sunday school department, I don't hear too much about it. They just handle it. And I appreciate them more than they will ever know. And uh, uh, people are stepping up now and helping with Grace Reach um, uh, and driving the van, helping them out to drive the van. And uh, that's, what, about an hour and a half, two-hour loop every Sunday morning. Sir? Hour and a half to go get them and an hour and a half to go take them home. And uh, so that's what, three hours every Sunday morning just driving the van. We have people that are stepping up now that are helping with that. And I'm still amazed with uh, Sister Eton and Sister Sheila. They never want their name called, but I can't help it. They do an amazing job feeding those kids every Sunday morning. And thank you. What an incredible, incredible help. But these are helps. They, they're taking natural ability. They can both cook. And um, I've eaten in their homes. They're fabulous cooking. They're just taking a natural ability and using it for the kingdom. Y'all see that? It's Sunday school teachers taking natural ability. Uh, Sister April, just recently, somebody told me, said, man, I walked by her class, and she was letting her rip, man, doing a phenomenal job as a Sunday school teacher on Sunday morning. I thank you for that. Thank you. It's helps. It's helps. Our ushering team. I love our ushers, but, but these are natural abilities. Brother Mike is doing a phenomenal job with our ushering staff, and, and uh, we're adding more to it, more men to that as we can. But it's, it, it doesn't have to be a spiritual job all the time. It's not always up here spitting in the microphone. It's not always up here singing melodious. Those things are great, and they're helps too. They are. But there's a lot of people in this church that work kind of behind the scenes. You never see them in the, in the, the spotlight that make this church such an awesome church, and I appreciate our people that help. I appreciate you very much. <clears throat> and there's people that could help, and you think you can't. I want to applaud Rachel here tonight, Rachel Dunaway. Uh, we just put her in a Sunday school class, what, about two months ago. And uh, I saw her Sunday morning just really being a blessing to one of our small Sunday school children, and uh, being a comfort, being a blessing, and uh, I thank her for that. It's a help. It's a help. It's taking natural ability and using it for the kingdom of God, and everybody can do that. All right? Now let's move on. What is the gift of governments? What is that? When the Bible talks about the gift of government, it's talking about the direction that the church is going in. It's kubernesis in Greek. It means to steer or direct, to steer or direct. As you all know, the Apostle Paul was well familiar with sea, with the sea and with ships. He had been shipwrecked three times, and uh, 
He used many analogies uh, to apply how a ship works in relationship with how the church works. And uh, uh, he talked about how ships were steered by many. Ships were steered by many, but under the leadership of one. You remember back in the, like the Viking days or whatever, you had these like 50 men on each side of a ship and they were all rowing. Well, they could steer that ship. Uh, Some ships had a rudder, but Paul in this case is talking about that kind of a ship where you ask these guys over here to lighten up a little bit and these guys over here to get down on it and the ship goes that way. It's the whole group in harmony, in unity, under the leadership of one, steers and it governs that ship. So you don't have one man just barking out orders. And say, oh, I want the ship to go that way, and it just automatically goes that way. No, everybody moves in the same direction. We taught a Bible study a couple of weeks ago on unity. And this is why unity is so important. Is when you've got some person uh, on one side doing one thing and one over here doing something else, and it just, we call it a split. Everybody understand that? It's because the church isn't in unity. This word can refer to deacons, elders, all of these people who help steer the church, but not exclusively them. We all can steer the church by being unified in the direction the church is going. You get behind the pastor's vision and let's go that way. Not just sit there as dead weight, but let's all help in every way we can to move the church forward in the direction that God wants it to go. So we need to be unified in the way we pray, the way we work, and it takes more than one man to steer the church. As a matter of fact, it don't take but a handful of people going in the wrong direction to make church really complicated and very, very difficult. Um, So we need to learn to steer the church. The whole church together needs to learn how to steer the church around problems and into revival, and every member can help do that. Have you ever been in a canoe with anybody? Raise your hand if you've ever been in a canoe with someone else. Okay, most of you have. Have you ever been in a canoe with someone that didn't know what they were doing? Now, I'm not a professional canoe man. What do you call a canoe person? I don't know what you call that person. Huh? A canoe-aider? Canoe-aider? Okay. I'm not, a, I'm not one of them. Uh, <clears throat> but I'll never forget, uh, my brother and his family came and met us one time in Pennsylvania when we lived in, in Ohio. Went to a state park. It was beautiful. We decided to rent canoes and take a little trip down the, the river. So me and my brother and his son, who was bigger than both of us combined, decided to get in a canoe and... The wives and the ladies got in another canoe, and they, they, were, they went on. Well, me and my brother were in the canoe. My nephew walked up and weighed 380,000 pounds and put his foot on the side of the canoe to step up in it. And me and my brother just went, bloop. <clears throat> we were just kind of looking at each other under the water. <clears throat> just real interesting. 
I could have drowned that kid. If I'd have been a little bit bigger, he'd have been smaller, I probably would have, you ignorant moron. Don't you know any better than that? And uh, I'm calling those names because he's my nephew. And he hasn't really educated that much past that canoe trip either, so just go ahead and say that. Uh, but we all have to help steer the church. And if you want to be a part of church government, it's the direction the church is going in. Help it go in the direction that it needs to go. Now watch this, and I'll conclude with this point. 1 Corinthians twelve thirty-one. Paul said, But covet earnestly the best gifts. Everybody struggles with that verse. What does it mean? What does it mean? And I'm going to show you what it means. Covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. What are the best gifts? Listen very carefully. The best gifts are those which enable an assembly to be edified at a particular time. So when the church needs the gift of faith, don't go over in some corner of the church and start praying for the gift of tongues. It's not what the church needs. You pray that God would gift the church in what would edify it. What would it make it healthy? What would make it better? What would make it grow? You pray for those. Those are the gifts you, you earnestly pray for. That's what the apostle meant. You're not pulling away from the church. Well, you know, so-and-so has that gifting and so-and-so has this gifting. Well, I'm going to go off on this wild-eyed tangent and see if I can pray for some other gifting. Don't do that. Pray and ask God, what does the church need? What does your body need? It's kind of like being dehydrated. If anybody's ever been dehydrated, it's painful. You black out, it's horrible. And somebody walk up and give you a T-bone steak and say, here, take this. That's not going to help you. That's not what you need at that point. Does everybody understand? If you, the best gifts, what Paul is talking about is when you want the best gifts, is what will enable the church to be its best at the time. And churches go through cycles. They all do. And there's a lot of opinions about that. But we need to pray for the best gifts and what God would do at our church that God wants done. Many people want their gifts to be the ones that get noticed. Well, I want, to, I want the gift of giving a message in tongues. Because I want everybody to see me and know that I'm spiritual. What you don't understand is the spiritual gifts, the nine spiritual gifts, don't mean you're spiritual. Don't ever forget that God spoke through a donkey. And he still does. I'm just being, I'm just being real honest. Man, did y'all hear that? So-and-so gave this eloquent message in tongues and they're an idiot, man. Been to church in three months, hadn't prayed in years. God still speaks through. He does. We don't always like that application, but if the shoe fits, we need to wear it. <clears throat> so there's many times that there's an artificial division between those who help or work and those who govern and direct spiritually. And this hurts the church. And you need to understand sometimes that there are times when work needs to be in the church and it don't always involve those that govern the church. And then there's time when the church needs to be governed when it don't always involve those that help. And you can't compare yourself among yourself. 
I posted, I tweeted something today, Theodore Roosevelt said, that comparison is a great thief of joy when you're comparing yourself with people. So the Bible talks about, and I need to wrap this up, but the Bible talks about that we're, we're all members of the body, and there are some that are more feeble, there are some that are more necessary, and the Bible teaches that. There are some people that can't do everything like you do. They're not able. They're feeble. And, and we have to understand that. They're those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, and shame on us for that. Everybody has value in the kingdom. Everybody does. And sometimes we have a tendency to bestow more abundant honor on those that we think are the big deal and the people that we think are less honorable. They, no one ever says anything to them. Let me ask you tonight, how important to you is your hand it's pretty important huh let me ask you this how important is your heart do you ever see your heart has anybody ever seen your heart do you ever pull it out and look at it you never see it but it is a vital part of you being alive and without it so there's some members of the body you never see but it doesn't mean they're not valuable. Everybody can't be the hand, and we all know that. Somebody said one time, some fruit can only be brought forth in the shade where they can't be seen. So let me conclude with this tonight, and this is where I want to challenge you. The bigger the team, the more impact you can have. And I think across the board here at Grace, we, we have an incredible team of people. There is a uh, strong percentage of people who attend Grace on a regular basis or involved in some capacity. I wish it was 100%. But when I hear of other pastors talk and what have you, uh, we have a great team of people here. And I, I brag on you people, I do. We have an awesome, awesome team. But somebody said that 20% of your time yields 80% of results. If you do this properly, 20% of your time can yield 80% of results. 20% of your people do 80% of the work, and 20% of the people eat 80% of the food. It's that 20-80 principle. I have come to realize, Brother Marilyn and Sister Christie attended a conference several weeks ago, and uh, we went to their house, and they, for a couple hours, we went through all of the material that they gleaned out of that conference. And in our current church culture, for a church to grow beyond 200, this is a current American church culture, people have to be willing to give up having the pastor in their life on a personal basis all the time, where your church grows to 300 and he has two or three full-time assistant pastors that can make hospital calls, that can visit widows. doesn't mean he doesn't, but he just has help. This should be common sense or whatever. But people have a, a tendency to say, well, I don't want that to happen, so I'm not going to help grow the church. 
I'd prefer it just like it is. I've had people tell me in the past 21 years that I don't want the church to grow. I've had people attend this church that says I like it the size that it is. God don't work that way, folks. That's not how the gospel works. That's not how the kingdom works. And um, uh, I will tell you, year to date, it's probably even a little bit more now. I have to check with Sister Christie. But as of about three weeks ago, our attendance average on Sunday morning from the first of the year till just a couple of three weeks ago was 170. So we keep bumping that 200 mark. We had 202 a couple of Sundays ago. We had 180 last Sunday. So we're right there at the 200 mark. And if we could take that next step, uh, we could become a church of greater influence in our city, uh, what have you. I'm planned right now to have my second lunch with our mayor this coming Friday. That's keeps coming around and and i'm thankful for that and we want to be a a church of influence to impact our city and to grow but we have to be willing to help to help in support and to help in government and so if everybody would move in this direction we could crash through 200 real easy real easy and uh we've been here this is the second time as i remember we've we've been close to 200 we were close to 200 last year and the crowd fell off a little bit. We actually had people moved out of, out of town, out of state. But now we're at that 200 mark again. And uh, we want to launch Fellowship Hall Project. And I hope to be talking to you about that in the next couple of three weeks. We'll have a business meeting about that. Uh, but we want to keep growing. We want to keep growing. So you guys help. There's people here at Grace that you could help me with. You could help me pastor them. There's simple questions. Simple counseling simple instruction next year part of my vision for next year is we, we we're going to appoint at least three couples i've already talked to them and they know it's coming that we're going to put people in a position where if someone comes to me and says pastor my finances are all messed up i'm not going to counsel you about that i'm going to send you to a couple in our church that's good at that they have natural gifting with financing and uh pastor i'm having problems with marital issues there's a couple in the church, and we'll send them. Go talk to that person. And it's just a way to help our church see beyond this small parameter. If the, if, 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 well, if I can't talk to the pastor, I'm not going to talk to anybody. There's other people that can help you just as well and probably spend more quality time with you than I could. So if we could take this jump, this step, it would be huge to see our church move forward and to grow more and more. So I'm going a little bit over tonight. But uh, thank you for your time and attention, and I hope uh, this has been a blessing to you. But let's use your natural gifts in the kingdom and see what God will do with your life and your family. Thank the Lord. Jesus, we love you tonight. I'm so thankful again for the Word of God that instructs us, not only in our personal life, but also in the church and the kingdom. And God, we want to be a church that's effective. We want to be a church that's relevant. We want to be able to reach out to people around us. And I pray tonight, God, that these Bible studies will equip this group of people. That it's not here tonight to be a Bible study to increase our knowledge, but to equip us and to help us understand that we can help. We can build uh, friends and friendships and relationships. We can help people. We can counsel. We can advise. And I pray tonight, God, that you would be with our church, help us to move forward, and your will and purpose, we ask it in Jesus' name.
And everybody said amen. Thank the Lord. All right, all of you on this side, get up and go meet people on this side. Y'all just meet in the center aisle. So Brother Merrill will be happy with that. God bless you. You're dismissed. Thank you so very much.